Hi, everybody. I'm Amy Longsworth. I'm a managing director with PwC in the Sustainable Business Solutions Practice. And I'm uh, based in Washington, D.C. First time here at Sustainable Brands Metrics, although I have been to the big Sustainable Brands Conference, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I have had the pleasure for the past uh, several months of working with my friend and colleague, Amy Hargroves from Sprint. Good morning, or afternoon, yeah. excuse me. I must still be on that time difference. So I'm Amy Hargroves. I'm from Sprint. I manage our overall uh, sustainability efforts and also our, some of our corporate responsibility efforts because we're getting into the social side of things right now. Um, but Amy and I have uh, met, I guess, at the it BSR conference last year. a year ago. Um, almost exactly, that I was sitting in the audience and you were <laughs> sitting with a, a co-presenter talking about your supply chain mm -hmm. and the progress that you had made in building sustainability into your supply chain. And you said three things that stuck with me. Uh, one was that there were some laggards and mm -hmm. no less than your chief operating officer had written to the chief operating officer of those companies who yeah. were non-compliant or hadn't mm -hmm. answered you and said, get with the program. And I thought, chief operating officer is getting involved from Sprint. Okay, this is very interesting. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Secondly, that uh, you weren't requiring them to provide you with absolute data, but you were looking for evidence of progress on their mm -hmm. sustainability journey. And um, the third was that you were trying to figure out how to build more capacity into these into these laggards. You needed some help. Mm -hmm. So I called you up. <laughs> it seemed like a ready-made opportunity. So that is what we were looking for. We had had a supplier assessment process that I'm going to talk in a little bit. But what we really found was that they needed help. How do they do what we asked them to do uh, and respond to us? So, so we needed to reach out for that. And what we really needed was a partner to do that. So I could write it. My legal team would have a heartache with that. They still had a heartache with it. But we needed an expert to make sure that anything that we suggested to our suppliers complied with standards, that our criteria aligned with the standards, and we had such a common interest in really transforming the opportunity for particular smaller companies that really needed the guidance on how do you become more sustainable. So it was just an ideal opportunity for us mm -hmm. to work together, and I'm just thrilled that they were willing to do it with us. And it was a great uh, opportunity for, my, for me and my team. I have to say it was my team that really worked on the specific how do you uh, how do you explain greenhouse gas measurement to a company that is throwing up its hands and saying we have no idea how to even get started. Mm -hmm. But what I took away from this experience and what I'd like to give you a, a short presentation on in a minute is really about the difference between uh, uh, about strategy in um, in uh, managing or engaging with your supply chain and the different objectives you can achieve depending on what it is that you set out to do and the importance of understanding what you set out to do before you start doing it. And so um, I represent a company that's renowned for measuring like anything and everything, and I have a lot of colleagues who do that extremely well. I personally am much more interested in motivation and relationships, and I think that's what I'd like to talk to you about a little bit in my presentation mm -hmm. before letting Amy talk about the specifics of our project. So how can we provide different motivations and use new type, develop new types of relationships to reduce risk and create value in supply chain? 
before I get into that, I'll just tell you uh, a little bit about why PwC even cares about sustainability and supply chain. First, obviously, we need to help our clients build more resistant organizations, resilient organizations, build business continuity, um, and address their risks. But beyond that, we see the overall response of companies that needs to, the transformation that needs to happen uh, in response to global megatrends, such as climate change and many others, as a huge business opportunity. And supply chain just becomes one more way, one more vehicle for getting at it, because any of our clients is only as strong as the weakest link in their supply chain. But if we can work down that chain um, and reach more and more companies on their journey to transformation, we've got, uh, you know, we've got um, a huge portfolio uh, to pursue in that regard. And working to identify and measure costs, finding opportunities to create strategic value, continuing to help them improve strategy and to be able to put a dollar value on the results of that strategy, and then to tell the story through integrated reporting, uh, which obviously we're a reporting company, and when we see the, the uh, movement toward integrated reporting as a, as a very big and very important opportunity. Supply chain, no news to anyone, is complicated. It's global. It's almost impossible to know where all your risks lie. This just represents between, two, a colleague of mine put this together, between 2010 and 2012, just a smattering of uh, supply chain disruptions that cost U.S. companies billions of dollars, ranging from child labor scandals to deforestation, floods, and fires. So it's hard to know. Uh, it's hard to prevent or to, to be fully uh, risk-insured against all of these things, but it's also even hard to know where they're going to happen. And supplier codes of conduct don't really get at the problem. They're important to have. I, would, I am not saying we would move away from them, but there needs to be more. So consider the typical hamburger from your quick-serve restaurant. It has seven components, the bun, the special sauce, the pickles, the cheese, and all of those good things. And then just take the bun, okay? So the quick-serve restaurant wants to diversify its bun suppliers. It can't rely on just one, so it has three. They're looking at uh, 33 ingredients like um, flour and corn syrup and sesame seeds, and they want to diversify their supply chain. So then we get to, you know, 300-plus Tier 2 ingredient suppliers who are relying on thousands of agricultural suppliers. Now, I know we saw a presentation this morning saying that this can all be managed with big data, and I think that's great progress, but the reality is right now a lot of us, you know, the system is still imperfect. We're all working toward it. So the point is that codes of conduct aren't dynamic, they're not predictive, they're not relationship-oriented, and therefore they're insufficient in what we call a play-to-win strategy versus simply a play-not-to-lose strategy. So back to the idea of we need to know why we're managing supply chain. You can manage for risk. You can manage because your resources are becoming more expensive, more limited, more unknown. You can find efficiencies, and you can create value opportunities. This is a little preview from a partner organization of ours called... Um, Apex, which is a supply chain research organization. We've teamed up with them for three years' worth of research into sustainability and supply chains. Where does the value come from? 
questions like that. So this data comes from 183 companies across 18 industries asking supply chain professionals at all levels questions about how they perceive the value created by sustainability. And this is actually going to be released on the 30th of September, so next week. So this is a, they let me use three slides to show you a preview. <laughs> Uh, and it'll be available online and at the APEX conference. But the question, what are the top challenges? So this is, this is being asked to supply chain uh, businesses within a company, right? What are the top challenges encountered with regard to implementing supply chain sustainability initiatives? Notice the fourth one down. Significant confusion about the scope and company goals on sustainable supply chain. So people, you don't know what they're trying to do or why they're trying to do it. Of companies, this, the pie on the left are companies that said they realized value from their sustainable supply chain initiatives. The pie on the right are companies who said they did not realize value. Of the ones on the left, 58% said they had a strategy. Of the ones on the right, only 23% had a strategy. Sort of intuitive. Like, if you don't know what you're doing, you know, you're probably not going to get value out of it. But it's, you know, it's interesting to see it quantified. And value was defined as revenue gain, cost reduction, market share gain, market size gain, or environmental impact reduction. So those are pretty specific. And this is just a bonus. It's not really that relevant, but I thought it was fascinating that when executives were asked the question, is there a strategy, 30% of them said yes. Manager and below only 17% said yes. So I guess there's some big secret strategy out there that the executives just aren't sharing with the people who have to execute it. But something to ponder, right? So I mentioned um, play not to win, or, or play not to lose versus play to win. This is how we think of a spectrum of, when we think about strategy, we think about um, actions or plans along this spectrum. So in supply chain, playing not to lose would be setting the performance standards, basically doing whatever you can to shore yourself up against risk, but not necessarily trying to create actual value. So if you go from left to right, standards, maybe integrating uh, sustainability into procurement requirements along with cost and quality and performance. Moving to the right, you know, beginning to source alternative materials, maybe doing some proprietary control, all the way to collaborating with key stakeholders in order, and suppliers in order to create value. And this is the area that I think is, is very exciting and it's very new. And when my colleague Hannah Doran, who's here, and I looked for a lot of stories that would result in very tangible results, it was hard to come by. And my conclusion was that this, this territory is new. And when Amy talks about what she did, and, and she was really the one who woke me up to this as a pattern and I started looking, um, I realized that these are really cutting-edge companies are, are the ones who are looking for opportunities to co-create with their suppliers. So just really quickly, a, a sort of interesting way to think about this is in the 80s, you know, starting in the 80s till now, there's this very sort of command and control approach to managing supply chain. Now it's all about collaboration, co-creation. That's where it's heading. It's not all about that, but it's heading in that direction. So engagement is the new process design. 
Here is, I will give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. Cargill uh, is a PwC client, and um, they asked us to help them develop a responsible supply chain tool that they were going to use with their suppliers to identify where their risks and opportunities were. It was a very straightforward thing. The circle on the right, the one, two, three, four, we would identify risks and opportunities given a, 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 a set of... Um, criteria that, that, so that it was all done within a framework, prioritize the risk and opportunities, put a value dollar on the risk and opportunities, and then develop an action plan. Apply this up the supply chain, and you, know, you see slow improvement. Then they realized, this is where the sort of the aha came, they could actually apply this forward, down the supply chain. They took it to customers, and, and they announced it actually at a food and beverage show. Would anyone, you know, like, would any of our customers like to engage with us? We'll help you to use this sustainable supply chain tool that we've developed. They got 300 requests. So the problem became, who, who do we answer first? Um, to just stick with the example of the, of the bun from the fast food restaurant, they actually um, had a, a, a bakery client who wanted to use this and... and um, were able to identify some key opportunities and risks in the flour, which is where Cargill came in, where they were able to tell a different story about farm to uh, fork. They were able to tell a different story about water use and able to design a different action plan uh, toward the gluten-free movement, which they were having some trouble with. So uh, using... Using this, having Cargo go to the customer and say, you know, we'll help you with this, actually gave the customer some advantage as they went on to sell through to their customer. So what started as a risk tool to go up the supply chain actually became a sales tool to go down the supply chain. So I thought that was very interesting. And then just very quickly, whoops, I went too fast. <laughs> a couple of more just... Very swift, naming no names, although you may take your educated guesses. Apparel company going into the factory, teaching lean, creating new systems of intro, in, inside the factory governance that was much more involving, able to reduce the cost of T-shirt production. A technology company that had its own um, diversity program, very strong, able to turn that around and sell that as an advantage to its customers, $6 billion worth of additional business, a retail chain challenging its suppliers to reduce packaging, race to the top, saving $100 million, and then market expansion, food and beverage company, micro-distribution in Africa, reaching $950 million revenue worth of new market. The, the, the consistency in all of these and in the Cargill example and in what Amy will talk about is creating a new relationship by giving something back by t to the supply chain, not just asking for their numbers, but teaching them, showing them why sustainability matters and can advantage their own business, um, or in some other way engaging them in uh, its shared value. So I'll turn, turn it over. over to you. 
So, you know, it's funny if I think about this. I would never have guessed back when I was in business school that I'd be excited about supply chain and think it's actually one of the most important things to work on. But I, I absolutely get giddy, actually, talking about the opportunities with supply chain. And I hope more and more people realize, really, the opportunity that it provides right now. So one of, one of the books that made the biggest influence on me was about um, your sphere of influence. So if you think about that now from a CSR perspective and what that means, almost all of our opportunity for impact is really getting down to our suppliers and them to get their suppliers. And then you'll see in my oh my god slide later, it's um, also opening it up to all of the fast followers. So <coughs> providing something out there that enables a whole bunch of other people to really do this all fast. So I, I, I just love this topic. So thank you for letting us talk today. Um, first I'm going to talk about goals, which ties well into what Amy uh, covered. We do have very clear goals of what we want to achieve with engaging our supply chain. So the obvious one, where most people start, really is the identify and re reduce our supply chain risks. Very, very important, uh, especially for kind of my EHS and my legal folks, probably the least exciting for me, but still obviously very essential, and we do cover that. Reducing our scope three impacts, which is where we really started some of our journey in supplier engagement. But the, the next ones are the ones that actually are, are making more of a difference to me. So increasing the sustainability of our suppliers. How am I adding value to their business, teaching them something, giving to them, and making them better partners, better suppliers for my company? And that's a little bit of a different proposition than I've heard from a lot of folks. So enriching the partnership and, yes, increasing the opportunity for innovation. So the partners that we've actually engaged with the most are now seeing such incredible results out of their journey that they're now saying, What's, what problems can we work on together? Even collaborative ones against com with competitors in the same space. I mean, I, I would not have guessed that we would see these things. But it's been amazing, and I absolutely think we can do a ton here to drive innovation. So very excited about that. And then the last part is not so much a what is the goal, but it's engage authentically. All of the supply chain stuff that we're doing is really about building trust. You know, we are, we are communicating authentically with them. We are demonstrating our values. They are learning to trust us more, which is increases our opportunity to partner. So a very important aspect of the supplier engagement, and frankly, missing in a lot of what I see today for supplier engagement. So we knew what we wanted to do or why we wanted to do it, but we had to think about which suppliers. I know this doesn't sound like a very complicated goal, and how many of you in your company say, but we've got 80,000, we've got 100,000 suppliers, where do you begin? We can't possibly engage with that many suppliers. So it was interesting as we started to peel back the layers, oh, I even have animation in here. I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, so we, we have 40,000 on record, but one quick pass said, well, but there's only 5,000 that build in the last year. So I, I'm going to look at that. And then what we did is we actually did a top-down. So what is the biggest spend all the way down? And we found that, sure enough, 90% of our spend was concentrated in roughly 100 suppliers. That's a very manageable number to really target. Um, and so, frankly... I don't care that much about the, the lower ones yet, because my greatest opportunity for impact is on the top, and it's where I have the most influence, because that's where I'm spending the money. So it worked out very nicely. Oh, wow. Gosh, this is far more complicated than I imagined I had. All right, so I'm going to do a quick shout-out here to Libby over at TrueCost. 
who really actually helped us first identify the suppliers that we wanted to go after. So one of the first questions we were asked that made us go after it was, what is the scope three emissions of your supply chain? No idea how to do that, and we really were, were turned on to the process that TrueCost uses, which is different than what a lot of companies do. Um, and the way that it's different is I had talked to quite a few people that were about, I'm going to join this organization, I'm going to join that organization, I'm going to send out all of these assessments, and then I'm going to build it all up together, and then I'm going to hopefully get a number that represents something. So it was taking about a year. It was costing maybe 40, 60, or, or more thousand dollars, tremendous burden on the internal resources for the company, and you didn't really end up with a result that you could interpret. So maybe you had a 50% response rate. Well, what can you really do with that? That really doesn't tell you where the absolute hotspots are because you're missing too many. So what I loved about the true cost approach is it really gave me a chance to go top down. I gave them my, suspend, my spend. They have a database set up that's got all the emissions data, all of the public reported information, as well as the interviews that they've done. So in, let's say, four weeks, very little time on my part, and frankly, not that expensive, so I think it was a bargain, I had a really very useful result. So this is some of the information that we got back. So we could tell our scope one, scope two, scope three within our supply chain. We could tell, I don't even have half the data up here, by bucket of our supplier type, what their emissions were, where the peak emissions were. And then I've, I've enjoyed it so much, I've now gone back and done this for water. And it was really interesting to see, as you might expect, my biggest my biggest problems are also my favorite suppliers. It's our device manufacturers are also the biggest carbon emitters and the biggest water users. So very clear information for me on where I need to focus. Now this addresses more of the risk side of the business. What I'm going to talk about next is more the other side. So if you think about it, the risk management piece, there are some really specific criteria that you need to find out. But what about all those other suppliers? Maybe that they're, um, let's say, an insurance business, or maybe it's a financial accounting service that works for you. There's a bunch of other suppliers that aren't manufacturers that have different types of risk and maybe have not thought about sustainability. Well, we came up with five overall criteria, you know, not 100, that really got at, are they engaging in sustainability at all? Are they trying to understand the opportunities in their business and pursue them? So we ask, do you have a materiality assessment? And have you made that public? Do you have any objectives that you've associated with that? Have you completed greenhouse gas measurement? Do you have a reduction goal? Do you have a human rights policy? Do you have a safety policy? And do you have an environmental policy? This, that's pretty well it. Five basic questions. I don't care about their numbers, but I want to know that they're on a sustainability journey. So we had guiding principles. You know, whatever we look at, we wanted to have our criteria, our objectives, align as much as possible with the overall standards and expectations in reporting. We didn't want to ask them to do more than we do ourselves, so I can't ask them, have you done X, Y, Z, and I don't do it. Um, we used a materiality lens, not, I'm going to ask you only the questions on things that are material to me. And I hate that when I get those assessments. It's like, well, that has nothing to do with my business. Why should I answer that for you? So I see it through their eyes. And be reasonable. Understand the impact of what you're asking. I think if any of you are the sustainability professionals that I, I know many of you are, we're going nuts answering these supplier surveys. I mean, it's probably 10 hours a week at this point. This is just not a workable solution. So I didn't want to add to the burden. And then the last question, will it make their business stronger? 
So this really gets to the driving, creating value for your suppliers. So this is a high-level look at what our supplier assessment process is. So the short but very high-impact questions, review the responses. This one I'm going to talk about in a minute because you have to think about what about those people that don't answer. Identify the gaps, build capacity, raise the bar so it is a continuous improvement loop, and then re reassess. So strategy for non-respondents. We probably had, our first result was maybe 55% of the suppliers complied with those five criteria. And by the way, part of that was public disclosure. So they had to give us a link on where we could find that information. They couldn't just say, yes, I do that. Show, show us. So what we did was we took this to our, um, our steering committee, and the majority of our suppliers are owned by our chief operating officer, who has network, he's got product management, and he actually has supply chain. He volunteered to say, what can I do to help? And sent out, gave us permission, really, to send out personal letters to each of the non-respondents and the companies that did not meet, telling them what they needed to do to meet. You would have thought, <laughs> we lit a fire under these people. So within probably a week, we had virtually all of those people respond. And it was pretty interesting to hear, hear what they thought. So as you might imagine, there was a lot of, well, this doesn't even apply to me, really. I'm a service company. Um, a lot of people said, well, maybe we could do this, but I think the current resources are too confusing, and I don't have people to help me do this. Um, and it doesn't help me. What, what was interesting to me is it really helped me understand that some of us make CSR what I'm going to call high effort, low value. So we make it so complicated and don't allow the businesses to seek the kind of fast benefits some of them can get. So that was a really interesting realization. So as we think about what the problem was and what we heard from our suppliers, we really realized that we could do a great service if we could find a simple way to convey how do you do materiality assessment and how do you measure greenhouse gas emissions were the two areas that our suppliers told us they were having the most difficulty with. We had tried to point them to all the public resources, and, and frankly, they were kind of glassy-eyed when, when they would look at some of that stuff. I hate to say, as much as I love CDP, we were there last night, but you know, a 390-page guidance document is difficult, especially for a company who has no one specializing in sustainability or even vaguely, closely, specializing in sustainability. So we really saw an absolutely huge opportunity to do this. But there were several kind of things that we needed to look at. It needed to be a real do-it-yourself model. So frankly, enabling them to do this without hiring anybody to help them. Um, it needed to be consistent with standards. We actually had to modify our criteria slightly to make sure it matched standards. We weren't asking for anything unique. And it needed to accommodate a range of suppliers so it could be applied to almost anybody. So our solution was to create really a CSR for dummies, chapter one and chapter two on these two items manual, which we have released to the public today. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited about it. I'm thrilled, and I think I have my copy here. And we have business cards that have the website printed, so each of you can go to that and take a look at it if you would like. This is kind of what it looks like. But it, it was a, a really cool writing journey. So PwC, frankly, provided all of the technical accuracy. So this is what you need to do. I did more of it. Now let me translate this down to a third grade level. And you can't see it in here, but we've got sprint approach boxes populated through all of it. 
So here's what we did. And an example of where that's useful is it took me 40 hours to do this, this many, I had this many people on this team, but real practical, how much did it take? How did you really get that done? So I, I think it's going to be very useful, and I'm hoping that um, some other people will, will find it useful as well. Um, what else do I want to say about that? Um, oh, I know the other part. So beyond just the guide, the other thing we've actually given them is two Excel documents. One, I actually have shared my greenhouse gas calculation spreadsheet. The emissions factors are in there. The formulas are in there, all the conversions. So they can look at a cell and see exactly how I got to a number. And they can even cross-foot all of that to our CDP submission. And then we've given them a blank one so that they can fill in with their own information. So the idea is really enable them to do it on their own and meet our criteria and hopefully get the same benefits that we've seen out of CSR. So the results so far, we've already jumped from 55% to 79% meeting our criteria from 2011 to 2012. I will say a lot of that came from the easy fixes. So for example, customers might or suppliers might have a human rights policy, but they'd never published it. Um, there was a lot of that. Um, or they, they hadn't, uh, they'd measured it, but, but when, they, when we ask them to make something public, it forces a whole different level of rigor and accountability for that organization. So just that one step, I think, was a very, very useful one. We've really gotten great feedback from the suppliers so far. We just introduced it a couple weeks ago. We did our first webinars. All of them are very thankful to actually have some hands-on tools that they can dig into, because they've never seen something like that before. Um, and then I think the, the most exciting piece of it is the growing base of supplier success stories. So as we continue to evolve this manual, our hope is that we can actually get their success stories built in. And our hope, again, is to actually build a supplier portal where we can put more of their experiences, their success information in there in a place for them to share, share with one another. So what did we really learn from this process? I think reinforcing, again, what Amy said, Start with the goal in mind. Um, engage suppliers that become more sustainable. Then this one is a, is a huge point. Shoot to inspire. All of this is written about the business benefits that they can experience. It's what's in it for them, not compliance with Sprint. And that's a very different sort of a mindset because most of them are going to listen to you because you're, you're, you've got the money. You're the one that's going to be giving them the money. But how do you actually entice them to do this on their own, and then it's, then it's true. So shoot to inspire, not to force. Understand your leverage points and use them. Executive engagement, but frankly, just the fact that you are a very big spender. I think people often underestimate the power of just the dollar. And then the last part is really being authentic. We have listened to our suppliers. Suppliers participated in the development of the guide. We listened to them to tell us what they needed in developing this, and we'll listen to it and adjust the handbook afterwards based on what their feedback is. So we have very authentic engagement with our suppliers, and I do think it's making a difference. So that's going to close the presentation, and I think we're then ready for any questions that you might have for us. Yes? Uh, Ryan Spees from Eastman Chemical. Did you have any trouble, uh, Amy in green, did you have any <laughs> trouble uh, internally with Selling them this idea that we want to go to your suppliers and teach them how to be sustainable. You know, no, <laughs> which is, which is fairly interesting. Yeah, so um, we, we didn't have very much. Now, 
I think if I look at that at our company, the, um, the strongest supplier relationships are on the product side, and that's the side of the business that I've been the most engaged for probably four years. So I've already got a very strong relationship with that team and have worked with them with those suppliers. The rest of our supply chain is fairly centrally managed, and then you have kind of business unit owners. They know we're on this journey pretty well across the company, and I think they see it as value added. And I think the benefit, again, is that we are not doing the compliance. It's a good message for those suppliers. There isn't really a stick. There isn't an explicit incentive or a carrot. It's really about improving the relationship, so they all see that. Now, one other thing that I want to mention that I didn't expect, one of the gentlemen on my team is really focused on using sustainability in our sales because we have a lot of our business customers that want to talk to us. He's saying that the business customers actually love this and the sales reps actually love it because we can hand them something else of value that they can take away. So I hadn't even thought about it being used in that way. So for the most part, I've not seen any negative re reactions from anyone except for our legal department. But, but Amy, I w mm -hmm. would you say that you perhaps slowed the process down of supplier engagement in order to bring along your internal people who are managing suppliers? You or know, or I, brought I them along on an educational process with you? Well, I think that we've brought them along. I mean, we've been doing sustainability for probably only five or so years at Sprint, mm -hmm. but we have strong CEO support, so I think they've known it's, it's an important part of the company. So they were there. They were ready. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that much um, mind challenge to get through. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I, I think it makes a big difference. Most of them might be very protective, but we've, we've earned, I would say, a decent amount of trust in the company that they trust we're going to be, we're interested in helping those suppliers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, I, now, you'll have some good examples, and then I'm, I'm going to do the, just the quick one. For, for me, that goes into the, um, what I call my hotspot area or risk areas. So on the devices, I'm very product-centric, and we've even now given um, product lifecycle software to our device manufacturers to provide us very detailed information on a per-product basis, and that's been a little bit of a slow go. Um, other areas, lead-acid batteries, some of our print and paper areas. So we've got focused areas where the, we have specific product attributes that we have to get, and that, that can be a little bit more challenging. So we, in a way, separated it. There's the, the real risk management mm -hmm. piece where I need the detailed product information, and then there's the general questions that are more about their sustainability journey. And this is yeah. more on that side. I don't think I have anything to add to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so explain what you mean. This sounds like a neat idea. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. So I'm not totally sure I understand, because first off, I want to say, like, product use emissions, we did measure that this year. And actually, to my shock, it was a lot lower than I expected. Well, so we did um, quite a bit of research on it, and it's one of the areas that I, I personally am most interested in. So we have had engagement in the product team for quite a while. The first thing we worked on was device sustainability. So we actually worked to get a standard created for green cell phones through UL Environment 110, UL 110. We have the most platinum certified devices of anybody. To me, the next logical step for that was energy consumption. So we actually have quite a bit of R&D effort going on right now looking at what are new ways to, um, well, to me, the big story is usually the battery. So how do you change the charging infrastructure or energy use infrastructure inside of the phone um, to make it last longer? Also, some of the other concepts are modular phones. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on, but rest assured, that's one of the areas that I'm most interested in. But frankly, I would have liked it if my use number was higher. <laughs> because I would have had a better argument to really go after it. So I think if I look at my total scope three emissions, it was only 200 to 300,000 metric tons. My network scope two emissions is uh, around 1.7 million metric tons. So by far, for me, the vast majority of my emissions are in my electricity use in the network. And that, by the way, is where we're putting most of our emphasis on, on my um, absolute reduction goal is the network. So we are rebuilding the network. Pardon? Now on the, yes, it is, but there's also some academic organizations that are interesting. Now, you mean on the, the handsets, on the network? The transmission side, the, we, we just got recognized in CDP last night, which was wonderful. We had, um, we've now reduced almost 19% absolute reduction in the past four years and 12% of it was this year by network redesign. Mm -hmm. So we are totally changing. We have almost a $5 billion investment to overhaul our network, and it's far more energy efficient. So you'll now have one cell tower um, that has a greatly uh, larger circle of influence with half of the equipment, roughly, that it used to have. So there, there's a lot of innovation going on there, too. And in fact, we think that we'll get almost a 30% total reduction in energy from this network redesign. So we've got a lot of different things going on in a lot of areas, but on the climate change side, my game is in network. Second of interest, I think, is product, because that's the user experience of Sprint. So I have to work hard on both of those areas. Mm -hmm. Yes? Hi, Amy. Uh, Ramsey Helmy, uh, DirecTV. Uh, I'm curious, um, a lot of what you covered was your engagement out to your suppliers, bring, bringing them up, bringing them along. As, as your reputation for uh, as being a leader in this space has grown, have you had suppliers beginning to proactively come to you uh, in association with their business pitch to you to say, oh, by the way, we also want to share with you, you know, here's all the great things we're doing. We're not just a low-cost provider. Absolutely. And actually, I wanted to comment that that's one of the main ways I think will drive innovation to the business. So I'm now starting to try to measure that. So let's say, for example, we get renewable energy companies or renewable product companies that want to partner with Sprint. So I'm going to try to find a way to tag that as a lead within Sprint that I can attribute back to the CSR organization for innovation. So, oh, yeah. We get, 
when, when you are out there as a company that does things differently and is interested in new ideas and cares about this space, I w you've got to get five times the new opportunities that others would. I think that's a huge value to the business, and we're really going to start focusing our effort around that. We love FSC. <laughs> <laughs> I would, oh, go ahead, I'll go ahead. No, you sound like you had one more question. Yes, no. Very different questions, but good right. ones. The, the, do you want to comment on the challenges section? Because we very much partnered on the right. Well, um, you know, the translate. Our original vision was, or my original vision was, to create something sort of like. Do you all know the video, the story of stuff? Yeah. That compellingly interesting and that simple to explain mm -hmm. um, greenhouse gas measurement protocol. And I was quickly disabused of that. <laughs> Not by Amy, but by members of my team who said, you know, it just, we can make it more simple, but we might not be able to make it that simple. Um, I still think, I still think we've, got, we've gone a long direction toward, toward making it compelling, though, in yes. this. Thanks uh, in large part to your sort of personal, <laughs> this is what I went through, little call-out boxes. Um, but, but I do think that, 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 that just really making it digestible for companies that don't have any expertise in this without making it inaccurate or dumb mm -hmm. um, was the biggest challenge. And it was helpful, actually, to, to have some of Amy's colleagues involved who are supply chain, in supply chain management, but not in sustainability, because they were asking all the questions from the supplier perspective. And they really kept us honest, I think. It was funny. One of them, Mary, actually had her test, which was, could my mother do it? So I hate to say that, yeah, but we, we actually did that. And we looked through, could you actually do your own materiality assessment and greenhouse gas measurement based on this? And I got pretty fond of actually saying, it's not brain surgery, but it's at least arthroscopic knee surgery. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, there's no, no way around it. Some yeah. of it just is complicated. So um, the other part for me, is I would just wish there were more of us at Sprint because I spent an awful lot of time you did. writing this myself that I didn't really expect to be doing, but I do the materiality at Sprint, and I also do the greenhouse gas measurement, so I did have all the hands-on experience to say, here's really, and I did a lot of translation, mm -hmm. um, which I think was useful. You know, we also did two webinars. Is it, we oh, that's right, we mentioned talk that. about that. Yeah, so not only created the handbook with the, but we also did two webinars that are going to be available or are available they're online? Going, they're going to be available just for the suppliers because I couldn't yeah. get the legal barricade okay. on that one. 
<laughs> but 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 we we presented um, and and again just tried to walk everyone through it. Showed the spreadsheets that mm -hmm. you were willing to provide from Sprint and um, just you know and we interviewed the suppliers ahead of time to try to understand where they were coming from. What did they really need to know? So we we sort of bent over backward to try to make it friendly. And they gave some great feedback. I think one of my favorite ones was, um, what if greenhouse gas isn't material for me? Boy, that's not really an acceptable statement within the CR community. So we really had to think about that. But then he talked about why. And that was so useful. You know, I've got, I've got two cars. All of my office space is leased. You know, we don't travel much. You know, and it was so funny because we got to the end. We're like, you know, he's right. It's, it's not material for him. So we had to change our thought on that a little bit. We went from, well, we still want you to measure it and report it. We've given you an easy way to do it, but you don't have to come up with a reduction goal. What we'd like you to do is change your environmental policy to at least show concern in your normal practices about energy use. So just show that you're watching it, even though you don't have those opportunities yet. Have you put it into part of your culture? But had we not done that, actually talking to the suppliers, I don't think we would have really understood from their shoes what we're asking them to do. And the second one, just real quickly, on the, the green cell phones. So UL110 hasn't been around for very long, and they have not really done a good job at all yet of marketing it. So even just this week, we've changed our CR website so that you can go under um, uh, Sprint CR, I think it's under products, under, um, I've actually got specific products listed, and I list all of our platinum phones with links to buy, so that here's all the platinum ones, here are all the basic ones, and for each device you can click on it and you can find out by five categories how UL rated them. So now what I'm trying to talk UL into doing, we're still working together on that, is how do we make that more of a consumer approach? Because um, again, this is not a Sprint rating system, um, their concern, which is an interesting one, is that if you put the ratings out there, they actually turn off the suppliers. So yes, they win the consumers over, but the suppliers don't want to share all the information. So we're trying to find a middle road that to some extent protects the suppliers but provides value to the consumers in an easy-to-understand system. But there's definitely, we also are putting fact tags in the store so that you can see this is a platinum phone, um, but there's no marking on the phones. It's, it's a pretty new system. Oh. And then the last thing is it's getting integrated into EP. We've worked hard to get that change, and we just announced that about a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. I think those are some really good questions. Are, are, are we, are there, yes? You know, so so mm -hmm. this will be another one that you can probably yeah. do. You want to provide a perspective, and then I can. Or go ahead, you start. All right. Well, well, for us, the, the spend part was was um, big for the general approach. The risk part. There's, there's the different types of risk. So I would say that we tend to ab ab identify that more on, um, well, let's see. So first off, I said that my supply chain is very concentrated. So the vast majority of my risk is actually with my product, my device manufacturers. They're Asian for the most part. There's a lot of labor issues. 
all of the materials issues that are electronics are part and parcel to those. So I'm lucky in a way that it's very concentrated for that. And then we've got several organizations we work with to help uh, manage, I'll say, some of that risk collectively. Mm -hmm. So the Global E-Sustainability Initiative or the EICC and following what's going on with that. Um, so those have been their, big, their biggest risk pieces. Beyond that, part of the risk is NGO activism. So are we going to be, are we approached on some sort of a topic that we need to get engaged in to protect our reputation? Um, and then there's, actually that's probably been the majority of the other risk. So beyond the cell phones, and what, so most of it I guess is fairly known, what the risks are. Um, and you work with those suppliers. I don't think I'm giving you the answer you want, but, but the, the two other areas that we've probably worked most deeply on are lead acid battery, which was brought to us by an activist NGO group and has been really valuable to the business. And the same thing, frankly, on the paper side. Um, it was forest ethics, I think, that, that first approached us in terms of really looking at our policies. So I think the way I respond to that is you've got planned risks that you have through ERM. Most of the risks in the device side are fairly known. We know what those are. And then you have to be ready to respond to the risks that come out from left field and be ready to genuinely engage on them. And we've really tried to be good at that. Um, let's, let's dig into it, find out what, what there is. We have always been um, enriched by our NGO relationships and listening to the perspective that they bring. So we just respond when new risks are brought to us um, and, and recognize that we don't know it all. I can plan all I want, but more is still going to come from left field. One of the things that we've been um, talking with clients and others about is sometimes the disconnect between sort of traditional enterprise risk management and the view that the sustainability leader mm -hmm. has by virtue of the people that you're talking to, and also by virtue of the fact that, that enterprise risk management up until, you know, well, and in some cases still, is, is, is very categorized. There are certain things you look at and report on and take to your audit committee or whoever. Um, and sustainability, the language even for sustainability isn't necessarily part of that conversation. And certainly the ability to quantify um, and put dollars around, around some of those risks isn't there. So beginning to, to change that, to have that conversation like we saw earlier between finance and someone who can put a value on whether it's an opportunity or a, or a risk is, uh, is, is really critical. I, I've, I've um, heard companies talking about the importance of driving that conversation down into the businesses. So if you give people the language or the opportunity to respond in a fairly open-ended way, don't try to predetermine what their you know, how they're going to answer, but ask them some somewhat more open-ended questions when you do your annual risk, you know, questionnaire and push it, you know, down into the businesses far enough that the people who are actually sensing what's going on are able to express it in their mm -hmm. words. You can sometimes identify uh, new forms of risk. Now, that's not answering your question about how you um, prioritize because that's got to be turned into some kind of quantitative, you know, um, common denominator in, in order to really do that. But I think the methodologies, as you heard earlier from uh, our friend at Deloitte and PwC is working on the same thing, are beginning to be there. I will say Libby has given me a hint of some interesting things to come. 
on being able to quantify some aspects of risk uh, that I'm very, very interested in. For example, taking a company, looking at where they're geographically located and making risk assumptions based on that. Um, also, where you know some of your materials might come from. So I see huge opportunity in, in quantification based on that kind of data to also help with risk analysis. So, so um, she was really asking a little bit more detail on the hotspot analysis project that we did with TrueCost. So how that worked, what detail we gave them. Um, and it was so funny because when we first did that, I, didn't, I don't think I really understood the value of it. I, I, I will admit that I was doing a little bit of a box checking exercise in that first one. Okay, I, I think I can do it this way. And really, it evolved, so I understood the value of it. But we, the hardest part was actually assessing which supply chain we would give them, which spend we would give them. We had never really done that before. So having that process of who billed in the last year, how do you take out tax and all the other things that aren't sourceable spend, how do I get that into a meaningful format that I can send them that they can match into a database by a DNB number what it, what it means. Now, I will say one twist that I did different this year, and thanks to James for being flexible at the end, is they've usually provided to me my data in their categories or kind of in basic categories, and I had them redo it all based on my categories. <laughs> so I'd spent all this time, and I can actually go at a supplier level now, and I can get, let's say, maybe four different spend categories with a supplier on, on how our spend is allocated which was just fascinating. So I've got my bucket on device suppliers. I've got my bucket on real estate manufacturers. I've got network equipment providers. I've got IT providers. So it tells me what areas of the business have the greatest risk for carbon or the greatest intensity of carbon, even which specific suppliers have it. Um, and then I can do the same thing on water. So, so to me, that was what I wanted to get the value out of the scope three is not this company's number. Where are the greatest risks? Where should I spend my time talking with them about, do you have a greenhouse gas management plan in place? What have you done? What are your next plans? How much of a reduction do you think you can achieve? So it was more a basis for the authentic engagement that I really crave with these vendors rather than a um, fascination with their results. So, so I, I look at it more as a tool for a dialogue, meaningful dialogue with them, but it helps me concentrate. So frankly, I didn't think it was that concentrated. I was absolutely blown away, as I think most of us were, that that is almost all of our focus needs to be on those device manufacturers. I mean, then I, I know what the priority buckets are below that, maybe even 10 of them, and especially with water. The exact same suppliers, for the most part, water and carbon. Um, so to me, that was what was so useful. It just gave me a, um, a roadmap, if you will, on where to put focus. And I had numbers that I could then talk with them about, and I could compare those numbers with other companies. So I could actually meet with them and say, Company A, well, yes, your intensity is up here, but Company B, who does very similar things to you, is way down here. Why do you think that is? You know, What are you looking at maybe to improve your performance in that area? I don't know if that's the, the right detail that you wanted. All right, I think it says zero. <laughs>
But we're happy to talk with anybody afterwards, and, and I have, and Marcy has. The, um, I hope you go out and take a look at the supplier guide, and please feel free to offer feedback. The idea really is to have it be as useful as possible, and frankly, to have people steal shamelessly if they so choose to accelerate the benefits for all of us. Thank you.